So good to see everybody here this morning. You know, ever since I got here, uh, there's been one question that people have asked over and over again. It's that, are you going to be an Ohio State fan? I've been asked that a lot. And so, just out of spite today, we'll see how big of a fan you are. So, I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand uh, if you get this right. You're in church, so you shouldn't lie. Um, and so there's going to be some questions up here. I'll get out of the way. I know that my big head probably blocks a lot of your views. So uh, question number one here, who was the two-time Heisman Trophy winner at Ohio State? I knew this one. Um, next slide, it would be Archie Griffin. Raise your hand if you got it right. All right, if you got it right, you're still in, okay? If you got it wrong, don't ever ask me to be an Ohio State fan. All right, <laughs> second one. Who's the career passing yardage leader at Ohio State? Here's your, oh, there's some thinking going on out there. Uh, I hear it. All right, next one. All right, raise your hand if you got it right. Fans, right. Everybody was like, I know that one. Then like seven of you are left. All right, uh, next one. What sport Ohio State has the most NCAA championships? Ooh, this one's a tough one. You thought it was just going to be about football, didn't you? Uh, next, all right. Oh, it's men's swimming. How many of you got that one right? Nathan. It was a guess. It was a guess. Well, since there's just one left, everybody else can come back to play this one. All right, next one. Which year did they win the NCAA basketball tournament? Uh, there's a lot of different answers up there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the, the, the answer, though, I heard it, is 60. Why are the other ones up there again? Let's look at this next one. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Notice I said nothing about football. We don't even play football. Like, sorry, I had to get that in there. Um, I thought there would actually be people left. So this is the last one. Um, how many alumni have won the Nobel Prize from Ohio State? Any guesses? Three, three people, right? And you all call yourself Ohio State fans. <laughs> Gee whiz. Does knowing that make you wise? No, it doesn't. Knowing the career passing yardage leader for Ohio State doesn't make you wise. And yet we equate so often knowledge and wisdom, don't we? If someone knows a lot then they have to be wise. But the truth of the matter is, some of the most knowledgeable people are also the most unwise. You may refer to the phrase, they are too smart for their own good. Knowledge doesn't equate wisdom. And so this is where James is going today. This is where James is taking us to kind of recap the last two weeks. We're in the book of James. It's a book about wisdom in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So Proverbs is there in the Old Testament. And James is there in the New Testament, giving us a new light as because the tomb is empty, this is what wisdom looks like. And so week one said if we want to get wisdom, we've got to go find it. And we only find it in the person of Jesus. That's the only place we find it, not anywhere else. And we have to have a close personal relationship with Jesus to find it. We can't just sit on the outskirts of faith and expect to become wise. 
we have to get off of the bench and into the game, to borrow a sports phrase. Then last week we talked about how if we make that commitment, there will be pushback. And the reason there will be pushback is because the enemy in this spiritual battle that's going on around us does not want wisdom to be brought into the chaos that he's creating. Wisdom would make sense. Wisdom would help. Wisdom would come from God. And so he puts two things in our ways. He puts trials, which come from the outside, and temptations, which come from the inside. And both are designed to distract our eyes from wisdom and to get us not following Jesus anymore and substituting Jesus for something else. And so James writes, and this is where we left off last week, that we are to continue to look for the good, perfect, and unchanging gifts from God. And we continue to look for that. And until we find that, we don't settle for anything else. And so today we turn a corner. We turn a, turn a corner from this kind of nebulous, where do we go and this is what to expect, to this is what wisdom actually looks like. So as we begin this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And today I pray that it would be clear and that it would uh, speak to us. Uh, Father, may it be your words and nothing more and nothing less. We thank you for those who have preserved this for us for uh, 2,000 years so that we can come and meet together today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So James 1, verse 19. This is, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James says, this is what wisdom looks like. You are quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. So wisdom requires that you listen. Let me say that again for those who weren't. Wisdom requires that you listen. And the reason for this is because if we're waiting on the good, perfect, An unchanging gift of God, sometimes we have to listen for it because it's not readily in front of us. Because of our surroundings or our situations, if we act upon our impulses, we will not go for what is good, unchanging, and perfect. We will settle for something else. And James highlights two instances that we do that ends up kind of ruining our relationships and our reputations. When we become impatient, we end up harming other people and we end up harming who we are. And the first he says is, is speech. Because here's the truth. When we are quick to speak, our words are going to cut down and destroy because that's what everyone else's words are doing. I don't know if you notice, but we can't talk to each other anymore in this world. We can't. Every word that we say is an attack on someone else. It's labeling them, it's hateful towards them, it's undermining them. That's what's going on around us. And so what do we do? We escape to our social media feeds, which is that on steroids, where everyone is calling people names, cutting people down, and ended up, it's essentially like we're in the middle of a sword battle, which is ironic because that is what Solomon basically says uh, using rash words is like. Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
I'm going to dare say that when we have looked back and we have hurt somebody with our words, we probably didn't think it through before we said what we said. I'm, I would say 10 out of 10, but maybe there's an instance of it. But 9 out of 10 times at least, when we have said something that has pierced someone, we didn't think about what we were going to say before we said it. And we're going to talk about speech a little bit more here in a couple weeks. But if we are quick to speak... We will speak like everyone else. And all it is is this giant battle that's happening. This verse in the English Standard Version, it says rash words. Right? Hurried words. Words you don't think about. This is what they do. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul lays out something very clearly. He says, this is what you should ask before you say something. Does it help someone? Does it build them up? And does it benefit them? If the answer to any of these questions is no, don't say it. And that seems pretty clear. And that seems pretty easy. But you know what you don't think about? When you're hurried, very hurried to speech, any of this. This requires you to listen. It requires you to stop. It requires you to pause. And if you don't do that, then your words are going to end up ruining your reputation and ruining your, your relationships. The second example he uses is our anger. Because when we're quick to act, our attitude is going to mirror the situation. I guarantee you this week, you have been mad, frustrated, or absolutely beside yourself about something that you really didn't know about because everyone else was mad, frustrated, and beside themselves. Right? You turn on the news, people are angry. So you are angry. You go to work, people are just irate about something. And you know what? You're irate. Five minutes ago, you knew nothing about it, but now you are so mad it's the way we work it's this mob mentality it goes back to kind of week one when the crowd stands up and does something we just go along with it when we're not careful and we're we're quick to react to things we're going to react just like those who are around us are reacting proverbs 15 18 says a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict but the one who is patient calms a quarrel Why do you think Satan works so hard to get Christians to just be up in arms about everything? Because he wants Christians to continue the conflict and not the one who calms the quarrel. You see, Christians have to be the people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ephesians 4.31, just a couple of verses after the one we just read about words, Paul says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, Can you get rid of something that you don't have? No, you can't. So Paul says, guess what? In this life, there's times that you're going to feel angry. And there's times that you're going to feel all of this inside of you. Paul says, do not act upon that. Get rid of it. And where we get rid of it is the cross. That's what takes it. God takes it and creates something beautiful. Well, if we're quick to act, we're not taking it anywhere except from inside us to immediately out in the open. James kind of echoes Proverbs seventeen twenty seven with these verses. 
Proverbs 17.27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Wisdom is this, that you're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So how do we make sure that we are listening? The first thing is that we have to rid ourselves of negative surroundings. If all you hear is negativity, if all you hear is cutting people down, if all you hear is outrage, then you're going to be like that. If you look at a child and see how they react, there's a pretty good chance someone's modeled that for them. They didn't come up with it on their own. It's because their environment has fostered them into making that decision or saying that thing. The same thing is true for us. Who we surround ourselves and what we surround ourselves with often dictate what we say and what we do. Proverbs 30, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, Paul says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I'm going to guess that the times in your life where you've really messed up were times in which you knew you shouldn't have done something. But the people who were around you encouraged you to do it, so you did it. That's the way it works. We know. I mean, we may have just went to Sunday school and heard a lesson about being legalistic and not letting that hinder people's faith. And then we come in here and there's people around us who like being legalistic. And so we just completely forget about what we just learned and decide to just go along with that because the people who are around us are molding us. In order to make sure we're not dealing with that, we have to remove ourselves. Notice what James says. James says, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. That doesn't mean that it's hard to find. It means that you're going to actually have to work hard to get rid of it. You're going to have to make a conscious effort to say, this is not going to influence me. If you just say, I'm just going to let things happen, bad things are going to happen. You say, I'm not going to let this stuff influence me you get rid of it that means that you need to watch who you're spending the most of your time with it also means that you need to be careful about what you're watching and what you're listening to because everything that falls into you or filters into you influences you and so Paul says, get rid of the moral filth, get rid of all this stuff that's influencing you negatively, and what you need to be listening for is this, you need to listen for the good, perfect, and unchanging gift that is the Word of God. Replace what is influencing you with what should be influencing you. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of our God endures forever. It doesn't change. What people are talking about today will change tomorrow. Actually, it might change in an hour. What people are mad about today, they will probably be mad about something else tomorrow. It will be exhausting if we just keep talking like and acting like everybody else. But if we start listening to the perfect, unchanging Word of God, it is steady, it is sturdy, it is trustworthy, it does not go away. You see, in order to live a wise life, we have to listen to it. But that means that it has to be ever with us, and we never need to be in an instance where we're caught looking for it. I dare say there have been times in my life, and I dare say there have been times in your life, 
where the perfect thing to say would have been something from Scripture, but because we weren't familiar with it, we couldn't give good advice. And so what we did is we gave them, or give them godly advice. So what we did was we gave them good advice. Something that sounded good, something we heard on Dr. Phil, something that tries to build them up, but it's not God. And in doing that, we've really let them down. That's why it's so important, especially in the Old Testament, you just see instances of people saying that I want to basically digest the Word of God. I want it around me. I want it inside of me. I want it oozing out of me. I want the Word of God ever present in my life. Psalm 119, 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We may have said this phrase, but this is what it means. It's, It's around me, it's inside me, and even in the places that I don't really know where it's going, that's the word of God too. There's nowhere for anger and malice and hatred to hide because the word of God is literally everywhere. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul says what needs to be your ID as a body of believers is the Word of God. It needs to hold you together. It needs to be the glue that does not allow anything to separate you. And so wisdom is being quick to listen and slow to do literally anything else. We are listening intently to what God is trying to say. But then James takes it one step forward. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That actually doesn't sound too bad. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Paul says that wisdom is not just listening, it's understanding who we are. It's not just knowledge. So last uh, January, I had to take a test. I have been out of school for almost 10 years. This was new to me. I had to take a test, and I had to take a CDL test. Anyone in here have your CDL license? Those who don't have your hand raised, don't get it. CDLs are terrible to get because it's not just like your normal driving tests where you guessed your way through multiple choice and you were okay, and then you showed them that you knew how to drive. That's not the way it is. CDL test is, I want you to know literally everything about this vehicle. I want you to tell me what to look for, what happens if it's wrong. I want you to tell me how you would fix it. Like It's, it's awful. You have to do this before they ever let you take it out of park. Right? So the first time I go, because I'm smart, I go to the CDL testing. I had glanced over the book, like I glanced over the book when I was 16 and passed the test. And so I show up, and we get, there's the inside of the, the cab, and you go to the outside. When I'm done with the inside, the instructor tells me, you're going to literally have to get everything right outside of this to pass this. Do you want to continue? I said no. And so I drove 40 minutes to take 
like five minutes of the test and drove back. And so then I decided I needed to study. But here's the thing. I know nothing about vehicles. Like nothing. If a light comes on on my car, I'm taking it to someone. I know how to put the gas in. I know how to pump up the tire. I know how to put my kids' seatbelts in. Like that is it. You have to act like you know what to do in order to pass the CDL test. And so I learned something on my first go-around, and that's that the guy doesn't look up. He is just looking at this checklist of words that he wants you to say. And so I started thinking, you know what, I don't really need to know where this is. I just have to convince this guy that I know where this is. And so I did the inside, and he said, wow, that was so much better than last time, and let's go outside. I said, yes, let's go outside. And so we went outside, and I started looking at all of these different things. I got down underneath. I said, do you want to come and look at this? He said, no. I said, fantastic. And so I, I looked, and I said, like, hey, this right here, this is the cotter key. Don't know what it is, but knew I had to say it, and it was right there. I got in the driver's test because I passed it because I lied. And I, I aced the driver's test. I was, it, that was easy. He may think that I knew what I was talking about. I had no idea. I didn't understand it. I just knew it. See, there's, there's a thing here. You can know something, but you might not understand it. You might know this is what God says, but we have no idea how, what that means for us. James says that's like, if you listen to the word and you don't do what it says, it's, it's like looking in the mirror and going away and saying, I look fine. There's no difference whatsoever. But see, what the word of God tells us, that if we listen to it, there's something we're supposed to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what we need to understand about who we are, is that God created you. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not haphazardly put together. God created you. And he created you with a purpose. You're not to wander aimlessly throughout this world. God created you uniquely for a purpose. And the third thing is the stuff that we forget. That God is doing stuff around you so that you can live out that purpose. God is actively working around you so that you live out your calling. We are created by God, for God, to bring God to this world. Wisdom is understanding that. Wisdom is understanding what God says, like because we listen. Wisdom is understanding who we are and that we are created to do His will and that he is doing things around us in order for us to act out what we were created to do. And then he hinted at it here in verse 22, but he continues it here in in verse 26, the last part that we're going to talk about today. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Wisdom means you do something about it. It's not just book knowledge that makes you wise. It's not being a theological giant that makes you wise. 
It's listening to what God says, realizing that we were made to carry this out, and then actually carrying out in the world that's around us. For two years, I was a varsity basketball coach that has an asterisk beside it because it was basically a club team. There was a homeschool group in Bowling Green. They needed a coach. I was dumb enough to say yes. And so I would coach, and, and I apparently wasn't a good one because I would draw up plays that in my head would work, and I would watch time after time after time again them getting, like, there was a five-step plan to make this work. They would get to step one, and they'd be like, nope. And they would go, and they would do something else. And it would just frustrate me, and I would just get so angry. And I would go back and look at the tape. I'm like, why are they doing this? And the answer was right in front of me. The answer was because in order to do all this stuff, it was going to be hard. If all they did was run, get the ball, and try to score on their own, that's easy. And when we're pressed, we end up just doing what's easy. Wisdom is not easy. It's not. It's not something that you would do in your comfort zone. Wisdom's hard. Wisdom requires for you to do some things that maybe you don't want to do, but God says, hey, created you for it. Sorry, I need you to do it. Like, this was your purpose. God, I don't like doing that. So this is your purpose. This is what you're designed to do. James quickly reminds us, he says, listen, you consider yourself religious, and you go out and you just say whatever you want to say. We already talked about that. That's not what makes you wise. What makes you wise, the religion that you have that God sees as pure and faultless as this, is that you look after orphans and widows in their distress. Paul, or sorry, James says, you look out for those who are poor, those who are needy. A funny thing is um, that that John Calvin did not like the book of James. He didn't like it. He he said that, I don't know, it went against some sort of part of his being, I guess. And a lot of it is because of stuff like this. Because it calls us to action, but... James wasn't this new age guy that came along and added stuff to Scripture. The poor and the oppressed have always been at the heart of God. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy needy honors God. Proverbs 19.17, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 29.7, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed has always been at the heart of God. Always. It's just that the church, over the course of its history, have tried to kind of look over that section. Sure, we'll go send money, but just don't send me. That's not wise. Wisdom is doing what God calls us to do. You are in every situation of your day where there is something that God wants you to do. Every one of them. There's no exception. Whether you're in a classroom, a boardroom, an emergency room, God has a plan for you where you are. And if you want to live a wise life, 
You'll do what he says because he created you to do it. But there's one problem with all of this. Ezekiel actually had ran into this in his time. He's trying to rededicate his, these people to God. and He says this in Ezekiel 33. My people come to you as they usually do. And they sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Ezekiel says, essentially, these people come here under the guise of church or temple time, but they're really just here to treat you like a concert, God. They're here to treat you just like someone comes up and plays them a tune. They may like what happens here, but it's not going with them when they go. Some of you are sitting here like you have for years. Maybe it's not the same exact seat. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not the same exact church. But you've sit here for years and years and years, and you've heard message upon message upon message. You've heard that you're to evangelize, to have compassion, you're to have physical responsi- or financial responsibility, that you're supposed to heal your marriage, that you're supposed to repent. Now ask the question. That's a question I had to ask myself this week. Out of all those sermons, how many did I actually put into action? What's your batting average? I know mine's probably pretty low. Think about the times that you've come here, that you've listened to the Word of God, and you have left with no change, no motivation, and no difference in your life. And ask yourself a question, do you really think you're wise because you have all this knowledge? And the answer is no. In fact, we're lazy. There's three steps. There's knowing, listening, there's understanding, and so many of us want to stop there because it's about us. It puffs up our knowledge And it makes us feel good that God created us. But there's a third step to wisdom. And that's to make the world around you a better place. And here's the thing. You don't have to listen to a single word that I come up with. You may think that these points are baloney. That's fine. It really is. But every time I come up here, and I want to say every time that my predecessors have come up here, this book has been opened. And if this book is opened, it requires two things. It requires a reaction and an action. Every time this book is opened, it requires us to ask the question, what does this mean for me, and what does this mean for my neighbor? Nothing that I've extrapolated, nothing that I've said. The few verses that we've read today, if that and that alone is what you go home with, know that the Word of God calls us to action. And so today, I'm going to call you to that same thing. A wise life isn't just sitting in here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. 
A wise life doesn't just accumulate knowledge. It listens to what God says. It understands that we are created for a purpose and that God is doing something around us to allow us to live that purpose out and it calls us to action. Wisdom and a wise life is an active life. And so this morning, that's what I believe the Word has called us to do. Think about just for a moment where you're going right after this. And know two things. God's already there. And he's got something for you. Ask the question, where where are you going after that? Know two things. God is already there. And he's got something for you. No matter where you go, God has something for you. So our take home today, like I said... Let's not listen to my words. Let's just listen to God's. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And so maybe this morning, you actually accept that call to give your life to Him. Or a call for repentance, which just means that I'm tired of doing this on my own and I want to turn, turn my life around. The wise thing to do this morning is to act on that. And so whether you come forward, whether you stay in your seats, today we all have a decision to make. Will we choose to be wise? Or for lack of a better word, will we choose to be disobedient? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we read it, It is as pure, as faultless as the day is written. That it applies to us as much as it applies to the first hearers of this word. And so, Father, you call us into action today. Through James, you made it very clear that you don't want us to just add to the noise around us. You want us set apart. Father, give us an ear and a heart to listen. May this book be a mirror that we constantly look at so we don't forget who we are and what we were created for. And Father, help us to know everywhere you go, you are already there and you've got something waiting for us. Give us the strength to look at what is good and perfect and unchanging. And Father, if you're moving in our hearts this morning, may we respond to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have a decision to make, I want to be here up front. Our elders are up here. They can, they'd love to pray with you as well. Let's stand and let's sing together. Trust and obey, verses 1 and 5.
know wherever you go, God is there, and he's got something for you to do. We have something for you to do here tonight for uh, evening service. Um, we're just going to take a time, uh, in spite of everything that's happening in our country, in this world, the fact that school just started, we're just going to take a time tonight to kind of have a prayer service where we just come together and, and pray. There's going to be some different stations kind of spread out here in the, in the auditorium where we're just going to come and experience a time of sitting down. And maybe you struggle to listen. It's going to be really quiet. We're just going to sit. We're going to listen. We're going to read scripture. We're going to pray. And so we invite you to come. Um, our, everything else is happening tonight, and we'd love to, to see you out there. But go in, in the grace of God this morning. Sing the chorus. It is well with my soul.